Anyway, besides wasting half your day, what have you done so far? Or how <laughs> I woke up a half hour ago. Mm. <laughs> that rocks, dude. Yeah. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Yo, for real, this parish is nuts, okay? <laughs> it's so insane. I can't even I can't even wrap my mind around all the things that are going on all at once. <laughs> like yesterday we had I there's usually six masses on Sunday. And so it's three English, three Spanish, and I I was with four of them. One was with an all Spanish young adult retreat that was outside while the wind was blowing and like, you know, outside masses just get insane. And so I'm trying to hold the microphone, hold down chalices, hold down books that are like flying all over the place. (laughs) Insane, dude. And then no joke, there's like the rock band slash Spanish choir up on top of the hill and they're they have like the portable electronic drum set up there, do do do, and they're freaking jamming for this thing. And you're like in some auditorium outside. <laughs> what the heck? This I I remember thinking this looks like a level of Guitar Hero that you would have to like go <laughs> and play here uh, in this outside venue and play the Spanish Mass and like <laughs> rip it on these songs. And then and then we had Life Teen. Well, I had another Mass immediately after that in Spanish and then life teen until like eight. And then I was outside last night in front of our parish. This, this just happened. So it's kind of like really on my mind and I, I want to get it out and, uh, just kind of process it. But, uh, we were outside in front of the church talking with a bunch of people and, you know, like greeting people after the masses. Cause we also had a seven and there's people leaving and I'm just talking with the kids and hanging out and all of a sudden, like, super loud breaks and then loud impact uh and we're on a pretty pretty high traffic road and so there's clearly like a big time wreck and it was it sounded devastating Hmm. and so then everyone kind of like starts to walk around and uh the one there was like a, a smaller civic that was it had been spun out and was like on top of the median had two wheels on one side of the street two wheels on the other side of the medium. So it was right across the middle. And uh, there's a big Dodge Ram truck that had essentially hit it full speed. And so we're, we're all like walking down kind of as a group. And I'm, I'm in my cassock, like just got out of mass and was just teaching. And I just started running down to this car. And then people just start spilling out of this Honda Civic, dude. Like four little girls. And they are a mess they're like yelling and screaming and the mom is non-responsive in the front seat and the dad is clearly like everyone's in shock everyone's just freaking out and i'm the first one to this car as everyone's like piling out and it was insane dude and uh we had to wait for the paramedics to get there they passed the phone on to me and i was trying to like my best to translate in between for the family and for the the police and the medics and everyone ended up it was it was like a really bad wreck but everyone survived and so they shipped the family off and were they hurt? a couple of the, couple of the girls have 
maybe a broken femur, but definitely a broken tibia, fibia. Um, Man, were they wearing seatbelts? No one was wearing seatbelts, dude. There were six. There were six people in this Honda, man. And this, they so they tried to do a U-turn, and this truck just green light, like, was just going regular and freaking hit them full speed, like 40, 45 miles an hour. Huge truck, demolished this car, man. So like one of the doors was jammed shut, and um, you know, all these people are around, and it was pretty wild, dude. It. So that was that was just like a lot to process after the whole day. And then and then the weirdest thing is you come back into the parish and and I was down there for probably like 30 minutes to an hour until the ambulance is left. And then you come in and like people are hanging out having tacos and and they have no clue what's going on. That's not a joke. They really were having tacos. <laughs> and and then, I, and then you come in and and like you, my brain slash heart is fried and then they're just laughing and joking and you have to enter into this conversation with them, you know, and it's just such a strange, it's such a strange life, man. So it was, it was a lot to process, but thank, thanks be to God. Like the kids ended up being a pretty okay. So it wasn't as traumatic as probably I'm, I'm making it sound, but it was certainly freaky. No doubt about that. Well, possible broken femur. That's a, that's a big deal. I remember yeah. one time I uh, was bow hunting with a priest down in central Illinois, and it was like yeah. like late uh, November, <laughs> <laughs> early December, and it started to snow, and so we were leaving, and uh, we almost got in a wreck trying to get out of this place where we were hunting because we had to go down this kind of grassy hill, um, and his truck almost went into this huge gully. Um but we made it out okay, and he was driving this big Tacoma four-wheel drive, and we're we're just puttering down this uh, two-lane highway. You know how they go through towns and stuff, so you can go 55 and then slow down to 25 or whatever through town. And uh, we were near one of the towns and come upon a minivan, which you could see where she skidded out, uh, went to the went to the right which was uh, up against this embankment. And you know how they have those uh, those pipes for drainage uh, every few, you know, like few hundred feet or something like that? What are they called? Um, doesn't matter. But you know what I'm talking about. So it like basically serves as, in the ditch, a huge speed bump if you're trying to drive through that ditch. And you can see she hit it and flipped over, and the car was on its top um, upside down. And she wasn't wearing a seatbelt either. We we come up and we just hear this wailing. And it's an elderly woman. And you can hear her just like um, weeping. And also her hearing aid is screeching. Because I don't know if it, you know, got messed up. And when it's low on battery, it just like squeals. And you can see there's, you know, some blood on the windshield and it's cracked. And um Ugh. It was it was gnarly, dude. And this priest is like yelling, you know, I'm a priest. Do, you know, do you need anything? And we get we've got the ambulance on the way. And it was one of those places where you'd never have cell service, but I just happened to get a hold of nine one one. But it's really far from any town, so it took it took just ages for competent people to get there. The volunteer fire department from this tiny town 
heard it over the radio and they they came and they were just like i mean they were good guys and everything but they had no idea what they were doing um and it, man it was it's pretty uh jarring you feel helpless to help somebody because we couldn't even get her out the, the car was upside down we didn't know if she'd broken her neck they had to cut the windshield when the ambulance finally got there they cut the windshield open and and pulled her out on a stretcher and you know, the tough thing was I never knew what happened. She, I mean, she seemed fine. She was still conscious when she got in the ambulance. But yeah. uh, And then that week, I felt like I was cursed because that week I'm driving up uh, back to Chicago. And I think I'm 55 or something. And this cop uh, on a motorcycle pulls off to the shoulder. And it's one of those gravel shoulders. Or it had gravel on it or something. And he he kind of like lost control of the front wheel of his bike and uh looked like he was new to the motorcycle and he bailed into a ditch <laughs> and i stopped and i'm like i don't know 21 22 years old and i pull out and there's this young kid and the cop is like trying to brush it off like it's no big deal but he's just got road rash all over his face and arm oh. and it looked gnarly too and he, i was like do you, do you want me to call for some help and I think that he just felt embarrassed slash I'm the cop. I'm the supposed to be the one helping you. Right. So he's like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm like, are you sure? Do you have a radio? You can. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm fine. 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 So I stopped at the next trooper I saw in the, in the median. And I told him I, I saw a cop bail on his motorcycle. (laughs) (laughs) It, uh, you know, you think about driving and it's like, yeah, we all took a test, you know, at some point when we were 16. We we're all capable of piloting these giant murder machines um, at high speeds next to each other, people that we've never met. Oh, it's... And you're used to it because it normally works out fine. But sometimes when it doesn't work out, it's, it can get pretty ugly. Yeah. And I think it's something like, I mean, tons of people are in wrecks. You know, I would say it's something that affects everybody's life you know somebody knows somebody who's been in a really really tragic wreck or even themselves have been in a, a bad wreck but um you know just to see the devastation immediately right in front of you and yeah to feel that helplessness and it's just kind of running around like i don't even know you can't even like touch people because you don't know if they're bleeding internally or they have broken mm-hmm. limbs that you're going to agitate or make worse and so you're just trying to be a comfort in whatever way. Um, but it's also interesting to see a person in shock. And both both uh, the driver of the other car and all of the passengers of the car that was T-boned, um, they were all in shock. I, I'm pretty sure the driver of the other car, like he didn't sustain any severe injuries. But he still got out. He like, when you try to talk to somebody who's in that state it's not that they aren't listening or they can't hear you it's just un there's no ability to process anything that's going on so like as you're talking to them they're not ignoring you obviously or it's not like they're they are just so not present to you and what you're saying uh i i felt like i was talking to a wall you know you you ask them i was asking them the same same questions no response. Ask him in Spanish. No response. Like asking all these little kids, and the, it was like their 
their minds were a million miles away, you know? And it was so just eerie. It was really just an eerie thing. And then, my gosh, I reach into the car and the oldest daughter is there and she's like just super upset. And her mom is just sitting there with like kind of her her head back and her eyes are like rolling open and shut. And she's just like screaming and like yelling to help her mom. And I remember being back in the back seat with her. <clears throat> and I can't remember exactly what song it was, which I'm I'm kind of surprised by. But the radio was playing and it added just the strain. And it was kind of like a hip fun song that was playing. And it seemed so out of place. I was upset. I was uh, I was upset that the radio was on. Mm. Like the first thing that I did was just go around and shut the radio off completely. Um, just turned it off. But it was such an eerie scene. It was it was surreal. You know, it, it seemed like one of those things you see on a movie or something. And uh, I'm sure to the people watching, the people driving by, they're like, what the heck? Some dude in a cassock is freaking running around like, I don't know, trying to help with this massive car accident. So I have no clue. I mean, it was just an unreal experience that was uh, definitely took some time in prayer to give that one to the Lord. But, you know, prayed with them and was able to talk to the mom as she was being carted off um, and was just there with the little kids um, as they were getting questioned and, and talked to. And um, you could tell that they were concerned about legality issues as well, but um, it was really also kind of a joy to be there and to be a, a person of stability when everything else was up in the air. Like they went to different hospitals. One of them, the kids went to the Scottish Rite, which is the children's hospital. And the mom went to like big adult hospital, um, Gwinnett Medical over here. And so like even the families were separate. And so to be the kind of the mediator and hopefully... I don't know. Yeah, a source of stability, I think, in like a really, really crazy moment. Um, you, I certainly felt helpless, but um, at least I could be consistent. That was really all that I could do. So it was a lot. <clears throat> Brings up an interesting question. Do you guys want to pray real quick? I have an observation, but I can pray if you want. Do it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill our hearts and our minds <clears throat> so that we may speak only the words uh, that men and women need to hear. Uh, give us grace to love you more deeply by knowing you more closely and so following you more faithfully. <clears throat> Bless Cardinal George. Yesterday was his anniversary of death. Bring him into the eternal light, glory, and heaven. And... Uh, Father Oaks, all the, all the dead, <clears throat> those who suffer or are sick, this family who was in the car accident yesterday and all who suffer this day, let us be in solidarity with them. We commend all our prayers into the hands of the Blessed Mother <clears throat> as we pray, Blessed Mother, or Hail Mary, full of grace, full of grace the, the Lord, Lord is with thee. thee. Blessed, blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mother of God, God pray, pray for, for us sinners, sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so that story of yours kind of brings a question that I've had, and I, I don't really have an answer to it. But the, um, the idea of there being people in moments of 
massive crisis and suffering while our lives or people's lives in general generally go on uninterrupted uh, by that suffering. So like the radio thing is a great kind of tableau or image of that fact that you are kind of frustrated because here's this family who's in trouble and in your mind, like all my resources should go to helping these people uh, because I'm capable or whatever. And then there's this person singing a carefree song or whatever. And you're like, how can you be singing in a moment like this? You know, <laughs> even, even though it's a recorded track and whatever, it's just complete coincidence. Or even the tacos, like eating tacos while you're oblivious to the fact that something massive happened to this family. And I was thinking about that this morning. So I get a little news update email and there's a, there was a big uh, earthquake in Ecuador and there's just tons of dead people um, from this thing. And these things happen every day and we read about them, you know, such and such a number of people died here and there. And I've often had the question in my mind, like, what are we, what are we supposed to do about that? Because it, it feels a bit irreverent or heartless not to feel sad or feel bad because just because they're not attached to me like if that were my family obviously that would be a big deal to me you know but we're all family um and i run into this sometimes with uh with people who have lost loved ones and they feel guilty when they start to feel good again you know because they feel that they're doing some dishonor to the dead uh by not being miserable because they're dead Wow. You know, um, yeah. and it makes sense. But at the same time, my, my advice is kind of like, don't, don't tell yourself how you're supposed to feel. You know, if it hurts, let it hurt. But if you feel peace, take that as a gift, you know? Um, but I don't know. It's like managing that, that whole feeling bad for not feeling bad. Have you guys ever had that? You know what I'm saying? Like sort of an indifference to to suffering because we can't we can't hold it all in our heart. You know, like if you tried to every single refugee in the world or orphan or widow, if you felt felt the actual pain of being in solidarity with that suffering every day, would you even get out of bed in the morning? You know? Yeah. I mean, I had um, what I relate to that, I guess, from my own life. I had a buddy, a good buddy. um, at one point he got in a car accident and he was actually completely fine. Like he walked away just totally unscathed. Um, <clears throat> but in the accident, a 10 year old boy was killed. And um, so my, I actually met with um, father Murray about this when he was at Mundelein because I noticed in myself um that all I felt around this was just total relief because my buddy, I mean, he hadn't like had anything to drink. It was, and it was like firmly ruled that in no way was he at fault in this accident. And I remember that was kind of the biggest thing. Like once I found out he was okay, was like, okay, what are the ramifications for this? Cause you don't know when it happened anyway. Mm -hmm. And I took that to, to Father Murray, that exact thing. And I was like, you know, the past couple of days, I've noticed that I'm very mad at myself for not feeling bad 
for this little boy and his family and everything and what they're going through is like all I honest and I was just blunt. I was like, all honestly, all I feel in this is a sense of relief that my buddy is okay. And and honestly, a sense of relief that nothing is gonna happen to him now legally. And Father Murray was great, man, and he was just adamant and he said he was like, use this as one of just the the principles that you live your spiritual life in that you you never tell yourself how to feel ever um and like you just have to operate under that uh reality is that you um you know you don't get to especially when something like that happens you have to be honest and relate those emotions to to god but you don't you can't stir anything up especially in those in those moments or you can't force anything away even that sense of relief um, but I don't know where this will go. I actually, so I had the little communion service this morning that I gave the reflection at, and I was talking about, it was something that you said a few weeks ago, Connor, when you're talking about just like the real definition of what solidarity is versus, um, the vicarious, the idea of vicarious penal substitution, which oftentimes a lot of Catholics mistake. And it's funny that we're talking about this because I was up early this morning. And I read a little bit of the news and was reading about just the different refugees in Syria. And Pope Francis has just taken like some of them back, I think, to the Vatican, actually, and housed them. And um, yeah, it doesn't solve the whole problem. But it was a very it was a very well-written piece and a beautiful story and and uh, and everything. But something I said in this little reflection was that when we're talking about the reality of solidarity of solidarity yeah both in humanity and adam but also in solidarity in the passion death and resurrection of jesus it, it helped me for somewhat somehow just articulate at least to myself all this stuff i feel like what pope francis has been talking about of this and not just pope francis i mean the constant like emphasis of the church of the preferential option for the poor and reaching out to your neighbor, like whatever you want to call that. But what I actually said in my reflection is, you know, it doesn't matter how you feel or what emotion gets evoked in you. But the reality is, is if someone else is not okay, then you are not okay. And I was talking to myself more so than the people in the church um but i'd like to maybe hear your thoughts or if you want to take it elsewhere that's fine because that's a little off topic but just that idea of like what is solidarity when we talk about solidarity what exactly are we saying because it's more than emotional responses does that make sense yes uh -huh. well dr barrett covered this a little bit in her she social did. In her social justice class, do you remember what she said about it? What? Tell me what you remember. Yeah, well, I remember her talking about. It. I just remember her giving the example of like if someone's drowning and you're on shore, being in solidarity is not standing there, um, feeling sadness for them drowning. Being in solidarity with them would be feeling the sadness and then responding in kind to it. Of like, oh, then you go and yeah. you help them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I remember that. But there's also the reality of like, I also, you know, I'm not, I don't feel in any way that I'm called to 
walk away from what I'm doing here and, right. you know, move to Rome to help the Syrian refugees who are objectively my brothers and sisters. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm not, you know, call it what it is. Like, I'm not going to move over there to dedicate my life to their like relief effort right. either. Yeah. And so, I mean, this is a hard thing to articulate the mystery of it anyway. Yeah, I don't have an answer to it. That's why I asked it. Because yeah. you're, you're right. It's like, I'm not, I'm doing what I'm doing. And uh, a lot of it is, you know, solidarity with suffering people in certain situations. Uh, and, you know, part of it, I think, is that we're we're so much more aware of suffering throughout the world now because of communication. Um where before, you know, you wouldn't know there was an earthquake in South America, uh, maybe weeks after it happened or something like that. But the instantaneous communication just makes it uh, kind of paralyzing. You're like, well, yeah, I'm doing something to help here, these people. But next to the problems that these people have, it seems like nothing. Why should, shouldn't I just go over there and, and do that and, and be there for those people? And but uh, I've known some people that kind of feel that way or feel that like profound sense of guilt that they're doing fine and others are not. And it doesn't give them any mm -hmm. peace. You know, it kind of <clears throat> kind of uh, is a curse because no matter what they're doing, they always feel like they're not doing the right thing. Um, and I, for one, I, I mean, I, I run my life and I believe that uh Whatever's in front of me is God's will for me. And if you try to, right, it, it even gets yeah, to the honestly, like trying to make yourself feel a certain way. You can't, you can't manage it yourself. You know. What were you gonna say, Juice? Relax. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Are you, are you in a tunnel right now? Are you podcasting from a tunnel? <laughs> I am, I'm in a cave. I am in a cave <laughs> right now. Uh, I think I can hear you guys good now. Yeah, you guys have, see, it sounded very spotty to me, but I, like, you guys haven't said anything, so I figured it was probably my internet connection. Dang it. Uh, you sound okay you hear me right okay? now. You sound good you're now. Okay. You're, you're kind of back um, as well. Anyway, I, I, I did kind of miss uh, the last, like, maybe 10 seconds of what you were saying, but it probably wasn't important. No, it solved uh, the whole, it solved the whole problem. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just yeah, talk about yeah. something else. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, well, fix that one. Now we can good. Move on. Hey, we good. did it guys. We're off. Awesome. Uh, but the only, the only thing that has ever, you know, engaged that to me in an, in an unsystematic way. It's like, that stuff that we learn about solidarity, I mean, it is important, and I don't want to call that into question at all. I mean, just like the question, whatever, like, you know, what is God? Um, okay, well, you, you can, I think you can engage that question through a, a systematic theology or whatever. You can give m multiple answers. He's existence itself. He is uh, greater than that which anything can be thought. Like you can you can talk about that, um, but also like it's it's not even getting at the mystery 
either. And so I think you can engage this question in a systematic way. But the only thing that I've honestly ever read or heard that at least really deeply resonates with me is that, which, and we, I know we've talked about it a little bit, but that one principle that uh, Therese talks about almost in passing in Story of a Soul when she's talking about the care for souls in her own life and her move, especially towards the end of her life, is just to tell Jesus to draw her. And by drawing her, like she has to trust that he will draw those that he she loves with her. And again, it's not a, I guess, at the surface, like a profound insight, but at least to me, it engages what we're talking about way more so than anything else I've heard. Yeah, and also the, the idea that... Um... That earthly suffering and death are not uh, the worst possible outcomes of a human life, you know? True. Um, yeah. Very true. What is Father Oaks' funeral card? What did it say? Like, uh, it makes no sense to be a Christian unless you see death as one of God's greatest gifts or something yeah. like that. Right. Um, some ways like that, it's not just rose-tinted glasses where we're like, oh, everything's fine because now they're in heaven and they're you know, better and blah, blah, blah. It's better that they died. Um, but I mean, St. Paul says basically that. He, mm-hmm. he says, I'd rather go home to the Lord than stay here in the body um, with you all. But if it's his will that I stay here and suffer, that's fine. I'm willing yeah. to do that. Um, <clears throat> you know, it gets back to, we talked a long time ago about that whole, um, the British guy who said, you know, God, he he accuses God of brain brain cancer in children or something like that and oh yeah Stephen Fry yeah how that you know it's the it's the problem of evil it's it's very difficult but I guess what we're getting at with the whole car accident springboard is like how do you how do you relate in the world and have a normal life with leisure and and tacos and uh, pop songs while there's people who are in dire suffering you know there's people who are slaves. Uh, who and are. dude, that that's well said because that is a very real, and I'm sure you know it from a couple of years of priesthood. But that in the in this internship, I mean, it is amazing in the kind of the day to day life of a priest, and not as extreme as yeah, seeing a young family, whatever, in a bad car accident, and then going into a taco party, uh, but pretty much daily man like you are engaged with someone who is in close to crisis i mean that is not out of the ordinary for something to come up in a day and like you i was telling my dad about this a couple weeks ago and i mean the next like room that you enter could be just ho-hum like mundane meeting it could be yeah like someone who's really excited about something um i mean it is a at least for me it has been a maximizing of my emotional maturity frankly Mm -hmm. um because you warden was talking about um, i lost you there you said that it's like you know you don't (laughs) want to talk about your emotions because you're dominated by oh man can you hear me you, this like, is you going had terribly. Like a, 
you had a punchline. Yeah. You know, like it was the point, and it Dang just it. blanked out right before you said it. Freaking internet, dude. <laughs> well, did what he, I was dang did, it, man. Did Ayersman take I, the internet think, with him when he left? Dude, I think you know what this could be is that we're getting so many downloads that we've broken the internet. <laughs> Not again, dude. What this is this happened multiple times. Yeah, dozens. Oh, I hate this. Uh um but that, like what I was saying it was that point that you were talking about that Mike Warden made. I was like, when you're so, when you won't talk about your no, emotions, oftentimes you're dominated by your emotions. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you got to have that stuff in order to engage that over and over. I mean, you really do have to um, grow up very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like this discussion that we're having, I mean, it makes me feel, it, I mean, it does. It kind of like, makes me want to hit the chapel put my trust back in god but it makes me feel very small man of like man this is a it's just a the catholic church and the mission of the church is bigger than me and i participate and get to cooperate in it in as much as i let jesus live through me and other than that man that's it like we're toast if we don't do that um yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like all, I think this question, it, it at least in my own life, it's made me boil down to the most basic principles of why I live as a Christian, which is like a radical trust in the Lord that He is mm. shepherding and guiding and leading all of us to the greatest good and into His heavenly pasture. Which, of course, like the Good Shepherd Sunday reading, so so beautiful. Um, because yeah, like what is the Lord? He doesn't expect us to shoot around from country to country trying to save the entire world. Like that's, that's precisely what he doesn't want us to do because with Therese, all the great saints, they know they're not God. That's like the number one principle that they operate from. And I think living from that place of you are God and I am not, and I trust in you then then we can live in solidarity with like with our people with with the suffering that we encounter and oh my gosh man you're totally right rob the the experience that i've had here is in a real way like entering into the life and the crosses of the people of your of your parish and like yeah i am a finite being i cannot be everywhere i i'm not supposed to be everywhere and none of us are like that's the Lord's thing. The Lord's thing is to take care of all of the people of the world and to draw them to him. And I think when when I just realize how like how little I am and how much even just the people right in front of me have their own giant crosses um, and living living in that place, um, it, it just always boils down to the principle that he is God and I am not. And I have to just totally trust in him and be present with the people that God puts in front of my life. Like you said, Father Connor, like every person that I encounter is a gift from God. And every every encounter that I have is a moment for an encounter with the Lord, both for me and for that other person. And like what a radical we we had a family that um 
they lost a, a five-month-old, a five-month-old. And we got called out there and had to be with the family shortly after the, the child passed. And then uh, we had the funeral service on Wednesday. Um, and this family, holy smokes, man. It was just like you could, they were a mess. They were absolutely a mess. It was their first child and they were a young couple and like probably didn't have a ton of money, relatively poor. And our thought, like me and the newly ordained priest here was like, what do we do now after this funeral? We're standing there and we're just watching this family and they're just, they're standing. They have no clue what to do now. You know, they've just given up their five month old and they're just standing around with the flowers from the funeral. They are, were lost. They were entirely lost, had no clue what to do. And we just went to lunch with them. And it was the mo it was an incredibly uncomfortable, awkward, weird, very um very sad lunch. But there were moments where we were able to like just by being with them it was almost giving them the okay to to be like, okay, you, you have to live now. You know, it's I know it's only been a week since your son passed, and I'm not saying like you have to quit mourning his loss, but this is we ha you have to live. You can't live in in this moment of your son being dead for for ever. Like you, yeah, there's a mourning process, absolutely, and. I guess the way that I felt like we were in solidarity with them was to just be in this terrible situation with them, but to continue living, you know? And so not obviously not to make jokes and belittle the situation, but like it's okay to enjoy your food and you can talk about whatever, like school the next week and like very, very, very little things that was, you know, quote unquote real life, like getting back into real life. Um, out of this horror situation, you don't have to live in this moment for the rest of your entire life. And it was nothing like we just we just ate with them. And they were so grateful. I mean, I, I can't even tell you, man, they were so grateful for us to just be there and like sit in weird silence with them. And um, I don't know, it just really made me feel entirely little. But yeah, I guess it just struck me as we were talking about what does solidarity look like just to be in that terrible place with them and to try and bring Jesus there in like how we live our life. And yeah, acknowledging that he is God and I am not and we are finite and he is infinite and we have to look to him always. Um, well, you know, that's a, a perfect illustration, I think, of what I was kind of thinking and going to say that um, what ends up happening a lot of times, I think with the the whole, there's so much suffering in the world. Um, how can we just have our normal lives and be okay with that? And certainly there's on one side, there's the like indifference, like I don't care one iota what happens to other people as long as I have my cable TV and my whatever I like and my life is okay. So that's all that I care about. But there's also the other extreme of like, uh, I can't be present to what's around me because I feel I'm I'm busy doing my duty of feeling bad about all this hard stuff that's happen happening in the world, you know, and it can it can make you blind to what's actually in front of you, you know, um, because y you can you can tend to belittle 
the suffering of people that are actually near you, who you're actually responsible for, I think, in, in God's providence, that he puts you in somebody's life, whose suffering may not be as extreme as, you know, somebody being driven from their home because of civil war or someone being uh, captured and, and forced into slavery or something in a country you've never been to. And it doesn't really help those people, you just sitting there feeling bad about it, you know? Um, part of it, it's, it's kind of like the foxhole thing. Like, can you get out of your foxhole and actually do something to contribute to this fight, even if it's not uh, winning the whole war? Like, you're not going to be the general that, that is in every place at every time uh, fighting back the darkness of sin and suffering. You're maybe just one foot soldier and do something, actually do something rather than let the fact that the war seems like it's in a difficult spot paralyze you into inaction. And I told in the, you brought up Juice, the, the Good Shepherd Sunday thing. I, I told a story uh, from Matthew Kelly's book, uh, rediscover Jesus. We gave that away for Christmas here at the parish. And the preface of the book has kind of one of those Matthew Kelly stories where you're sort of like, yeah, is this really true? It's almost too perfect. Um, uh-huh. And it's a little bit, it's not corny, but it's just a little bit, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like a fable. But uh, the story briefly is just this guy who he's in New York for a big fancy business meeting and they just finished and they have to rush to the airport to make their flight to get back home um, on time. And they're running through Manhattan trying to find a cab and uh, he sees that this woman's fruit stand has been knocked over in the hustle bustle of the rush hour city on the sidewalk there. And his friends hail a cab and they're about to get in and and. So like, come on, hurry up, we're going to be late. And he sees this woman, and he's got this decision to make. Like, does he stop and help the woman with her fruit stand uh, or not? And something in his heart tells him to just say, you guys go ahead. Um, I'll catch another cab or something. And he knows that he's probably going to miss his flight, which means he's going to have to get a hotel and stay an extra night uh, in New York. But he stops, and he goes up to the woman and realizes she's blind. And uh, is kind of helpless and crying because, uh, you know, this is her livelihood. So he helps her pick up the fruit off the sidewalk and the stuff that's fallen in the gutter or ruined or bruised. He gives her money. says, like, this should cover it. And um, after all is put back right with the world, she, she says to him, are you Jesus? And he says, no. And she said, oh, because I, when my fruit stand got knocked over, I prayed to Jesus to help me. And, and you came right up and, and did. And the way Matthew Kelly tells it is that this guy's laying alone in his hotel room that night and uh, has this reflection, like, when was the last time somebody mistook me for Jesus? Hmm. And, um, you know, the reading was that the, the sheep hear my voice and they recognize it and they follow me uh, and I give my sheep eternal life. And the implication is that the shepherd is talking, he's giving orders, you know, he's, he's guiding us and, and he's speaking and he expects us to listen. Um, and his orders I've found are very, very specific, you know, uh, mm, they're not like, so true. they're dude. not like, uh, yep. you have to figure out a way to solve world hunger or end sex slavery. It's like, there's a person right there that, uh, is sad because their five-month-old just died. You should go to lunch with them. 
you know, which seems in the grand scheme of things, like if you are a big um, social social justice person who's like can't handle the fact that you can't do something about every problem, you'd you'd be like, um, I don't know, it would be di- it's, it's more difficult to see the concrete demand of the of the current situation, um, and the fact that it doesn't really help to feel bad about all this stuff if you're not willing to like actually do something to help even if it seems so insignificant and little um do you know what i'm saying like that's that's the only way to me to to feel free given all the demands of i've been kind of gifted with a personality that like i i do go from funeral in the morning to baptism in the afternoon and Mm-hmm. whatever it's not it's not super difficult for me i don't have a lot of emotional hangover sure uh from the difficult thing and part of that probably is just my heartlessness and my natural disposition <laughs> to, to indifference and the steroids but, man that's yeah, what they do they do that's a true gift they shrink your frontal lobe but um <laughs> among other things yeah I don't, I don't know it's it's certainly a necessary uh trait if if not natural, then learned of of being a priest because you're constantly swung from one side of the pendulum to the other. Um, yeah, well, it's a natural it's a natural trait or a necessary whatever uh, trait or yeah. I still haven't stuck on the word maturity of a parent, frankly. Like any any time you have you know children to take care of, you're going to have um, swings like that but i do feel like it's just very pointed it's very um i don't know i I might even use the word like heightened there in the life of a priest which is just a privilege i mean it really it really is um yeah that was a like that was cool how you worked that um in and so you can this part might be cut out but just the image that came to me when you're talking about that of like the specific orders from the shepherd, um, just a cool one of my favorite scenes ever from a movie or a show is from uh, Band of Brothers. Have you guys seen that? Of course. Yeah. So when they are taking, I think it might be Bastone, or they're taking the town, and the one like the kind of just ladder climber, uh, you know, going up the ranks, like lieutenant or whatever that was in charge of this um oh i know the scene yeah this thing and and so like captain winters knows he's gonna screw it up but he has to send him in with like these guys and he does he just this guy loses it and the guys are dying and he's just so afraid that he can't move like he literally won't talk he can't even listen he's in your state of shock mike yeah and so winter screams for one of my favorite characters maybe my favorite character from that whole series which is Captain Spears. Oh, yeah. And he screams for him, and he goes, get down there and relieve Lieutenant Dyke. And Spears doesn't say anything, man. He just sprints, like, through all this fire, and he gets to the guys, and he tells Dyke, he's like, okay, I'm taking over. He immediately tells the guys, like, exactly what they should, they all knew they should have been doing. He's like, okay, this, this, and this. But at this point, like, they're so screwed up that they can't like get to talk to whatever flank or I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. The guy's got split up and they're on the other side of the city. Yeah. 
And so Spears knows that he has to get to this these other guys or they're all going to die pretty much is what's going to happen. And they're not going to take the city and blah, blah, blah. So he just sprints through the Germans and yeah, like, like the great ne- next to their tanks. The guy, yeah. And like the great line from the narrator is that, you know, it, it took, you know, like that is kind of believable that it took them so much by surprise that a guy would just run right into them that that's amazing but the more amazing thing was that he came back mm-hmm. and so he rendezvous with like those guys he tells them what to do and then he just jumps over the wall and he sprints back to his guys <laughs> and, and he's unscathed <laughs> and uh that's a beautiful image for the spiritual life because that's a guy and we've talked about this before of like just hearing veterans talk etc like he was living like he was already dead and it was like, I'm going to do what Captain Winters asked me to do, and I know what I need to do. And if somehow, like, I survive this, then great. But I'm just going to take one step, and I know, like, each step what it is in order to do this. And that's exactly what we're called to do in the spiritual life. The saints are those who live because they're already dead. And it's like that reality you know, maybe to put like a little practicality on what we've been talking about too, of like, okay, what does it look like? Okay, the saints are people that are truly alive because they've already died. And like that sums it up for me. Amen, dude. Amen. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And down.